Well, it's good to see you guys this morning. My name is Derek, and uh, we are starting a new series called Pass It On. And in this series, we are going to go head-on at the topic of how we share our faith with other people. Now, for about, say, 10% of us in this room, you are fired up. Like you, You've just been waiting for this series to start. You cannot wait because you're ready to go into the how to, you know, give me some tools in my toolbox so I can go out and do this better. Because you see, you already love sharing your faith with other people. It's, it's one of the gifts that you have. You love to do it and you just want to get better at it. Or there's others of you, you're still in that 10%, you're fired up. You, 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 know, you love to try and do it. Maybe you're not all that great at it, but, but it's a passion of yours. And you're ready for some real like nuts and bolts instruction on, on how we do that. So if that's you today, I, I actually need to ask you a favor. I need to ask you to be patient today, okay? This is a four-week series we're doing, and today, the first week of this series, we are going to talk about why it is that we share our faith. Why it is. I know you want to get to the how, but first we must start with the why. And here's why. Because for everybody else in the room, like the 90% of the rest of us, we're just not that fired up about sharing our faith. In fact, there's a lot of tension in the room just thinking about what that might look like for each of us. You know, it's one of those, oh, great. And maybe you haven't been here in a few weeks and you, you kind of lost track of where we were and we were doing this scandal series and you thought maybe you were showing up to the end of that. And now, great, the church is talking about sharing our faith and what that looks like. And so you're just like, oh man, I don't even know that I want to be here today because you're so tense. You can feel it. Now, I hate to do this to you, but I'm going to, I'm going to up the tension in the room just a little bit more because you see, this isn't something that that the church made up. It's not like we came together and we said, okay, you know, it's the summer. And since we got a lot of, you know, young people at this church and there's like wedding season starting and all kinds of crazy stuff. And so we know that attendance is a little lighter in the summer. So let's do a, let's, let's see what we can do to get people to share their faith. Let's, let's do that for a month. This is not something that, that we did because we want to try and boost attendance or this isn't something the church made up, okay? Here's the deal. This comes straight from Jesus. He says in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter, eight, chapter 28, verses 18 and 19, this is um, the, first, the first book of the New Testament that was written by Matthew the tax collector. So he documented Jesus' life. And um, this is his account right at the end. This is after Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared to his disciples. It says, Jesus came to them, his disciples, and he said... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. This is what Jesus said to his disciples. This is what he says to all of us today who consider ourselves followers of Jesus. We are supposed to share our faith. Not because the church says so, but because Jesus says so. Now, I want to be clear on something. If you are here today and you are just still checking out church and Christianity and you're not really sure what you believe about Jesus, this does not apply to you at all. This is a command that you're not on the hook to have to follow. And in fact, feel free to just totally disregard 
the, the rest of the message today. But don't leave, okay? And here's why. Here's why. Because there's a good chance that, that some things that are shared in this message today will, will speak to you. So, um, but in terms of feeling the tension and being on the hook to have to share your faith, if you're here and you haven't signed up for this, like you're not a follower of Jesus, you're, you don't have to do this, okay? But for the rest of us, this is something that Jesus instructs us to do. And that, for the great majority of us, makes us feel very, very uncomfortable. Now, there's all different kinds of reasons why. So for some of us, the reason that we're uncomfortable is because when we think about sharing our faith, we wouldn't even know how to get started. We wouldn't know how to bring up that conversation in a way that didn't feel forced or awkward or whatever. And we don't know where that conversation might lead to. For others of us, we're uncomfortable because we're sitting here and we realize, man, I've got just as many questions as that person who I'm going to be talking to has questions. And I know how to start that conversation, but I have no idea where that conversation might lead me to. And all of a sudden they're talking about heaven and hell and evil and suffering and all kinds of huge topics. And I couldn't possibly answer those questions. So maybe that's why you're uncomfortable or reluctant to share. And then there's some others of you and some of you way up in the top section, right? Way up in the top section. And here's the deal. You're like, wait, wait, share my faith? Like, my friends and family don't even know I'm here right now. <laughs> I'm undercover. I'm flying under the radar right now. I mean, do you know how much grief they would give me if they even knew I was in church right now? And you're, you're saying that, that this is something that I am supposed to do? I mean, that is so incredibly uncomfortable. And then... For many of us, no matter what, which of those camps we fall into, we can easily fall into the trap of kind of thinking the way um, our culture and our society, it's just so much of, of kind of where, where we are today in this live and let live culture that we live in, right? It's, it's hey, you have, you have your beliefs, I have mine. You do your thing, I'm going to do mine. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm not going to tell you what to believe. You don't tell me what to do. You don't tell me what to believe. And There's a part of us, I think, even for for those of us who've put our faith in Jesus Christ, where because of that and and wanting to be sensitive and everything, we can almost fall into this this mindset that says, you know, I mean, I believe in Jesus, and I do believe that that he's the way, and and that's, you know, how we have eternal life, and, and that's my belief. That's my Christianity. That's my faith. But you know, this side of heaven, who really knows? And, you know, all these other people, I mean, maybe somehow Jesus like scoops them up in the last moments and like everybody goes to heaven. I don't know. I won't really know till I get there. I mean, I have my faith, but, but who am I to really know? And, and, and so there's this, maybe when you start to feel really uncomfortable or it starts to get a little tense, maybe it's something like that that you fall back on. And you say, I just, you know, I don't know. I don't know that I'm gonna, I'm, I'm willing to share. Or, Maybe it's just as simple as this. Maybe you had a, just a bad experience with someone who, when you were at a point, they were trying to share their faith with you. Or maybe you've just seen like one of those street corner evangelists. Anybody seen a street corner evangelist and you just like had like a, just a negative reaction? Like you just feel, it just feels weird if you're even within earshot of that whole deal. And so you think, man, if this series is trying to get me to be some sort of street evangelist, like that's just not going to happen. So there was this street corner evangelist. He was out, he was out doing his thing, you know, t- yelling at people and telling them to, to come to Jesus. 
And he's going through this whole list of different things, talking about what he believes and what people need to do. And this businessman's walking by and the businessman stops him and says, wait, 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 wait. Um, did I hear you say that you believe that everything in the Bible is true? And the evangelist goes, absolutely. Every single word of it is true. Very bold, very confident. And the businessman says, so like that story about uh, Jonah in the belly of the fish for, for three days, like, so you believe that that's literally true? And the evangelist comes right back and says, oh yeah, that is absolutely, literally true. Yes. And the businessman says, okay, so, um, so how, how did he survive? How did he survive for three days in the belly of that fish then? How did that work? And the evangelist said to the businessman, well, you know, I don't know. But when I get to heaven, I'll ask Jonah. And the evangelist, or the businessman said, well, what if Jonah's not in heaven? And the uh, evangelist looks back at the businessman and says, well, in that case, when you're in hell, you can ask him. (laughs) And for many of us, when we think about sharing our faith, when we think about what that looks like, we envision some street corner evangelist out there preaching that everybody's going to hell. We think it has such negative undertones for us when we think about this topic. And so for whatever your reason is, for a huge number of reasons, we are reluctant to share our faith. So that's why we're talking about why we share our faith, because that's where many of us are. And today we're going to look at someone who was incredibly reluctant to share his faith. In fact, this guy is famous. In the Bible, he is famous for his reluctance to share his faith. This is a guy who was one of Jesus' disciples. His name was Peter. He was actually the the leader of all the disciples. And the week that Jesus got arrested by the authorities and he's on trial, it was the week that he was actually crucified, Peter was outside of a courtyard and Jesus was inside. He was on trial being questioned. And during that time, Jesus three times. And if you haven't even been in church, if you haven't read your Bible, you probably, if you know anything about Peter, the disciple of Jesus, this is the number one thing he's actually known for. Is doing what? Three times. What did he do three times? He denied Jesus three times. Three separate times out in that courtyard, different people said, were you with Jesus? And he denied three times even knowing Jesus. Now, We're not looking at that story today. What we're going to look at today is Acts chapter 4. Now, Acts chapter 4, the book of Acts, is um, the history of the early church as recorded by a physician named Luke. And so in Acts chapter 4, we see Peter, and everything has changed for Peter. Peter is a different person. And we're going to take a look at what in the world happened to Peter, that he was able to have such a radical transformation. Now, the story actually begins in Acts chapter 3, so I'm going to catch you up on what happens in Acts chapter 3 so that we're ready to jump into Acts chapter 4. Otherwise, you'll have no context for what's going on. So in Acts chapter 3, here's the, here's the quick synopsis of it. Peter and John 
are heading to the temple. They're in Jerusalem. The temple in Jerusalem, that's the epicenter of everything. It's, it's life. It's the marketplace. It's everything. Everyone goes to the temple. Life revolves around the temple. And everyone in Jerusalem goes to the temple. So, so they're going to church service, okay? They're going to service. And on the way to service, Peter and John run into this uh, beggar who's lame. He's crippled. And the beggar asks, asks Peter for money. And Peter says, silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have, I, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and be healed. And the man is instantly healed. Now, this guy, he is fired up. So, you know, he doesn't just kind of quietly go, oh, that was so great, you know. He is, he is dancing, he is jumping around, and he actually attaches himself to Peter. It's pretty funny, actually. He like, he latches on to Peter. He like won't stop. You ever had someone who just like won't stop hugging you or something? You know, he's just, he just latches on and he's holding on to Peter. He is so excited. Well, people who are coming in for, for service to go into the temple, they think, man, is that, that the guy that we've passed every time we go to service? Like that, the, that's the crippled beggar. He's totally healed. How, how did this happen? And so Man, there's this crowd starts to form around Peter and John and this man who was crippled, who's now completely healed. And so then Peter gets a little crowd going. He's got a crowd of people going in there. And so Peter starts to preach. And basically, Peter, and you can see he's got a four-part sermon I'm going to sum up for you. There's a four-part sermon that Peter preaches in Acts chapter 3. Okay, and he's basically, it's, it's all about Jesus, because this is after Jesus has died, after Jesus has been raised. So this is what Peter says. He basically looks at all the people and he says, listen, listen, you killed him, God raised him, we've seen him, now say you're sorry. Okay, that was basically, you know, that's the repent part, right? But, but that, was, that was the four-part sermon that he, he just got a huge crowd of people gathering around, and he's just boldly out there saying, no, it's Jesus, this is, this is it, man, Jesus is actually God. So... With that in mind, crowd of people gathered around. He's healed this guy. Here we go. Acts chapter 4. Let's jump on in. Starting in verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. So what's happened is some of the, some of the leaders, the religious leaders, see this gathering. I don't know, maybe they were saying, okay, come on guys, it's time to get, services starting, we're five minutes late, you know, come on, you got to get inside. All of a sudden there's this big bottleneck, something's going on. So now we've got some religious leaders, they're getting involved. And it says they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Now, you have to understand, this is just weeks after Jesus was crucified, when this whole Christianity thing was supposed to be dead and gone, put down, okay? Because it was this swell before, and now they they put it down. But it says 5,000 people have come to believe in Jesus. So what that means is, the religious leaders have a problem. They have a problem and it's not going away. It's actually getting worse. Okay. So you've got to understand they are going to be extra agitated with Peter and John because thousands and thousands of people are kind of going this new direction. And basically it was seen as a total perversion to the the Jewish faith. So 
They had them seized and put in, put in jail. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Now, those names that I just read, that's like a who's who of powerful people in Jerusalem. So Peter and John are standing before the most powerful religious authorities. Now think about this. Just a few weeks before, who was standing before those same people? Just a few weeks before, who was standing before them? On trial. Exactly. Jesus, just a few weeks before. Now, what happened to Jesus after he was on trial from those people? What happened? (laughs) He was crucified and he was dead. So, Peter and John, they, they, I mean, the stakes could not possibly be higher. It couldn't possibly be higher. They are facing the people who hold, literally, they're holding Peter and John's lives in their hands. They can determine their fate for this one. And here's what it says happens next. So they ask, by what power or by what, by what name did you do this? Meaning, heal this man. It says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. He's quoting an Old Testament prophecy that they would have been aware of. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Do you realize how crazy this is? Peter is standing before the people and they're just waiting for him to say this. I mean, they're basically baiting him into it. Just say it. Say you did this. Say it was Jesus. They're just baiting him. They're waiting for him. You got to remember, okay, This is the Peter who, when Jesus was on trial and he's in the courtyard outside, he denies Jesus three times. In one of those denials, there's a middle school girl, a middle school girl who's like, hey, that's pretty good, right? I didn't realize my voice could get that high. (laughs) She's like, hey, um, have you been with Jesus? Like, I think, aren't you guys like friends or something? Like I saw you out on a boat fishing or something. Wasn't that, were you with Jesus? Peter is so afraid that to a middle schooler, no offense if you're in middle school and you're here in the service, okay? No offense, it's cool, you know? But I mean, middle schoolers don't have the authority, right? I mean, with an adult. So to a middle school in that society, in that day and age. And he was so terrified. He's like, I've never even seen. I've never even, he wouldn't even associate 
with Jesus. It's not like they were like, were you with Jesus? We're going to pull you in, put him, put you on trial. He wouldn't even associate when there was a middle schooler asking him a simple question. And now all of a sudden here we are and the most powerful people who were the ones that ultimately authorized and said, you know, we're going to turn Jesus over to be crucified. These same people, now Peter's standing in front of them and he just boldly says, yes, yes. It was Jesus. It's the power of Jesus Christ. He's alive. So here's the question. What happened? What happened with Peter? We're just talking about the span of a few weeks going from denying knowing Jesus in the presence of a middle schooler to now boldly standing and proclaiming this truth in front of people he knew could take his life. What happened? Well, here's what happened. We see it in verses 18 through 20. It says, Then they called them in again. They called Peter and John in again. So in those little gap in those few verses we skipped over, basically they sent Peter and John out to discuss what the heck they were going to do because this is exploding movement that's going on. Everyone's praising God because this guy gets healed. So they're deliberating, and then they, they call Peter and John back in. It says, They called them back in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? Do we listen to you or do we listen to God? You be the judges. Now, I love this verse. As for us, says Peter, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We cannot help it because we've seen it and we've heard it. We've seen Jesus. And that is what had changed. Peter had physically seen the risen Jesus Christ, the one who he'd seen beaten and crucified and put in a tomb, and he was dead, like dead, dead, okay? And now he's seen Jesus. Jesus appeared to him on several occasions. And that is why Peter was willing to share his faith. That is why he was willing to die. And those of us who know a little bit more about Peter know that that actually is how he died. He died, he was martyred for his faith, proclaiming that Jesus Christ was the Son of God who had risen from the dead to forgive all of our sins. And it wasn't just Peter who died. Hundreds and hundreds of other people died as well, proclaiming this truth. They could not help speaking about what they had seen and what they had heard. This is why we can share our faith. You see, our faith, it's not some like mythical, mystical thing that we just kind of, oh, you know, that's kind of works for me and I'm not sure and whatever, whatever. Here's the thing. Our faith is based on an actual historical event. It is grounded in history, in history. And let me tell you what I mean by that. So forget the Bible, forget any Christian record of anything, forget any sort of Christian historian. Let's just talk 
exclusively about non-Christian historical documents and sources and records. So we're talking about Roman, Jewish, Greek, secular historians and what they've documented. Here's what we know. Here's what we know, okay? This has nothing to do with the Bible. What we know is that there was a man, history tells us, multiple sources tell us, there was a man named Jesus of Nazareth. We know that. He had a whole bunch of followers, and he was known for his teachings, and he was also known for these wonders that he supposedly, according to many of these sources, supposedly performed. You got to realize a lot of these sources, again, none of them were believers in Jesus. None of them were Christians. So these sources that we have records of, many of them were actually antagonistically pointing, skeptically, cynically looking. There was this Jesus and, and he had these followers of the way. And, you know, he was this supposed wonder worker. And, and it's, it's, I mean, a lot of them are antagonistic in how they, they record Jesus. But the bottom line is there's multiple historians who document that he lived. So there's no arguing that he lived. You cannot dispute it from a historical perspective. He lived. He had followers. He taught all these teachings. He supposedly performed some wonders or miracles or, you know, not sure exactly how that worked or what that looked like. And then he was crucified. It is well documented that he was crucified for his claims to be God. He was crucified for blasphemy. He was crucified for claiming to be God. If you're claiming to be God, that is blasphemy against God if you're not God. And so he was crucified for claiming to be God. Now this is all, again, let me say it one more time. This is not biblical. This has nothing to do with the Bible. This has nothing to do with any sort of a Christian source. This is non-Christian historical record. So what we have is a man named Jesus. He lived. He taught. He performed some sort of wonders or something. He had followers. He was crucified for his claims to be God. And then something else happened. Because when you would think that the movement was done, like they put it down, they killed the leader of the movement... Well, all of a sudden there was this explosion within weeks and all these people are proclaiming, they're, they're calling themselves followers of the way. They weren't, Christianity, it wasn't a term. Christians, it wasn't a thing. That's like hundreds of years later that that happened. So we're just talking about the way, followers of the way. And all of a sudden there's these people everywhere and they're proclaiming, they're saying that they saw him. And what history tells us is countless people were killed for proclaiming that they saw Jesus Christ raised from the dead. So the question that you got to wrestle with, especially if you're here and, you, and you're like, I don't know what I believe about all this. Here's what you got to wrestle with. Here's what I wrestled with maybe 15 years ago as I was kind of trying to, what do I believe about life and faith and all this? This is, this is the question. Okay, so what happened? He died. History tells us he died. What happened? What happened that caused that just explosion? Thousands and thousands and thousands of people who put their faith in him. Today, there's like 2 billion people who'd call themselves Christians. So did, did a bunch of people get together and just conjure up some really cool story? Let's, let's do this, man. Let's, 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 let's cook up this awesome story that Jesus raised. And here's the thing, okay? We're all going to band together. We all know it's a lie, but you know, let's just cook up the story. So we're going to write it down. Now, you know, you think, well, maybe they did that. Maybe they did that to make themselves look good. Right? Like, we, we're, we're idiots. We just invested like three years. We were following Jesus, and now he's dead. <laughs> so let's, let's not look like idiots. Well, here's the problem. 
Did you ever read through the Gospels and see how the disciples are portrayed? The people who wrote those things, they look like idiots in the Gospels, right? They never understand the parables. They, they no, never have enough faith. I'm, I'm, have, you, have you read? Have you read? you understand? The disciples are clueless. So if they were to make this up because somehow they thought, let's, let's make this up and, and that way we save face. Well, they did a horrible job. I mean, Matthew and Mark and John and Luke, those guys should be, I mean, those guys are messed up because the only one who looks good in the gospels is who? Jesus. Why do they have allegiance to some dead guy? That doesn't make any sense, does it? So if they made this thing up to make themselves look good, they have a major problem with the fact that they look terrible in the gospels. Read the gospels. They look horrible, horrible, the disciples do. Now, Check this out. So maybe, okay, whatever. Let's just put that to the side. Let's just say they, made, they, they cooked up this little lie. So we'll, we'll, we'll kind of downplay it. We'll make a few of the disciples look really bad, you know, so the rest of us can look okay. And we'll do it that way. So here, here's the problem. They all get together and they're like, okay, we're going to make this story up. Well, here, here's, the, here's the issue with that. That's cool. You're going to make up that story and you're going to proclaim this lie, you know, oh yeah, it's great. And Jesus really rose. But what about like when you're standing in front of someone like Nero or, you know, one, Caiaphas or, you know, one of these guys and like, no, 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 you say one more word about this. Like if you don't recant your faith right now, we're going to put you on a stake and set you on fire. We're going to crucify you just like we did Jesus. You say one more word, recant your faith. At that point, if I know it's a lie, like if I'm one of those hundred people and we banded together and I know it's a lie, guess what? <laughs> I'm not taking that lie any further. I'd be willing to die for a lie if I didn't know it was a lie. But if I know it's a lie, why would I die for that lie? The, the, you're talking about hundreds of people who died for something that they said they cannot help speaking about what they have seen and what they have heard. So what I have come to believe is the only plausible explanation for how this movement exploded after the one who claimed to be at the center of the movement, who claimed to be the one that needed to be worshipped, claimed everything goes through him after he died. The only plausible explanation is he actually was God and he came back to this earth, rose from the dead and appeared to a whole bunch of his followers and that's how this whole thing took off. Nothing else logically for me makes sense. There's no other better explanation than that. So here's the deal. The reason that we can share our faith, the reason that we can push past our, our, all of our objections and our hesitations and our reluctance to want to share, the reason that we can do that is because this isn't something that, oh, maybe, and I'm not sure, whatever. This is grounded in history. We actually have evidence. We have some proof. We can go back and we can look at the record. We can look at a lot of stuff that points to this, okay? This is something that actually happened 2,000 years ago. It's based on a real event. And our faith, while it's always faith and it's disputable, it's real. It actually happened. And that's why we can share it. So when Jesus says, therefore go, and make disciples of all nations. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. I might not like that. I might not feel comfortable doing it. 
I might not have much interest in doing it. But here's the deal. It is something that I need to wrestle with. And here's why. Because the guy that said that, he did something that no one else has done. Think about this. If someone can successfully predict their own death and resurrection and then pull it off, they deserve an audience. Yes? If you can success, anybody know anybody who's done it? If you can successfully predict and pull off your own death and resurrection, you deserve to be heard. You get some authority on that one. I mean, that's pretty good proof, at least for me. So my deal is, I may not get it. I may not understand it. But I'm going with the guy that successfully predicted and pulled off his own death and resurrection. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to listen to what he said. I might not have all the answers about Christianity, but I'm going with what that guy said because he's the only one that I've ever heard of that did that. I'm going to give you another verse, and this might really mess with some of you, but John 14, 6. So Jesus also said these words. Many of us wish he never would have said these words because it makes us really uncomfortable. But he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father, except through me. Anybody else love Jesus but just wish he wouldn't have said that? (laughs) You know what I mean? Here's the thing. We may not like it. We may love to ignore it. We may say Jesus can't possibly apply in the 21st century in Washington, D.C. How could you say something so exclusive and so arrogant? But here's the deal. Anyone who can successfully predict and pull off their own death and resurrection deserves to be heard. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. And he's shown us something that maybe he's worthy of having that authority. So we at least have to wrestle with it. We may not like it, but we have to wrestle with it. So Peter the Apostle Peter, he wrote a couple of letters in the New Testament, First and Second Peter. And in his second letter, in the first chapter, kind of as he's getting started in the 16th verse, he says these words. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We were eyewitnesses. You see, This isn't some made-up fairy tale faith. This faith has roots in history. It's reliable. It's verifiable. And that's why Peter was able to share because of what he had seen and what he had heard. And why we can share is because this faith is real. What we believe is real. And it is worth sharing. So thank you for those of you who have been patiently sitting through the why sermon, because you really want to get to the how, the how this works and what this looks like. And I'm going to tell you next week, we're going to get all over that one. We are going to continue looking in the book of Acts and we're going to look at what does this look like? And here's, here's really, really what I'm after, okay? We go to a church for people who don't go to church. What does this look like for Grace Community Church people 
in 2014 in Washington, D.C. What does this look like? How do we do it? And we're going to get real practical on the how-to. Now, there are some of you, and you're here today, and you're like, okay, well, this has been cool, but I'm, I'm not coming back next week because I don't really care about how we do that. I have no interest. I want to just talk to you for a second, okay, because this is, this is hopefully next week, even if you're not interested in sharing your faith, you owe it to yourself to come next week because what we're going to talk about is we're, we're really going to get in touch with our own story, Okay, and, and here's the deal. Even if you don't want to share your own story, even if you, you have no desire to share your faith with anybody else, you owe it to yourself to be able to connect some dots in your own story, in your own experience. We're going to do something right in the service. We're going to carve out time right in the service for you to do a little exercise. And it's not turn to your neighbor and like give them a 90-second testimony. It's nothing that's going to be uncomfortable. It's nothing that's going to be a shared activity. It's going to be totally just you in your seat, you, you know, just taking some time to reflect and to think. And my hope is that this will be a real faith builder for every single person. What you choose to do with it, it's up to you. But it will at least be something that will help you in terms of your faith in your journey. We're going to do it next week. You're not going to want to miss it. So um, make sure you come next week. Let's uh, bow our heads and we'll close in prayer. God, um, thank you for this story of a changed life. We thank you, God, for people like Peter who were willing to stand up and share even in the midst, in the face of death. They were willing to share their story. They were willing to to talk about you. And they were even willing to die for their faith rather than turn from it. In part, we owe our faith to the faith of those first few followers and their boldness, God. Lord, there are many of us who are here today and Despite hearing this message, we're still very reluctant to share. We do not really have any desire or inclination to do this. We feel all sorts of emotions and reservations when we think about sharing our faith. God, and my prayer for every single person here is that you would just, if our hearts are closed to this, if our minds are closed to this, that you would at least make us open to what you might be saying to us. That you would at least make us open to to wrestling with what this might look like for us these next three weeks of this series. And God, there are some who are here right now and you know that they're on one side of the fence kind of looking over at Christianity and, and you, Jesus, and Maybe some have been coming for a while. Some of them, maybe not very long at all, God. You know who they are, God. And maybe for some of them, it's for this moment right here today that they came. Because despite having many questions, many things we don't understand, some serious objections to Christianity, maybe because of some Christians that we know, or churches that have done us wrong, or whatever the case may be, But God, 
there are some who are here right now and if they're going to be honest they have enough information to put their faith in you still a lot of questions a lot of things to figure out but they have enough to put their faith in you that they can say Jesus I don't get a lot of things but I do believe that you came to this earth you lived a life that I couldn't live and you died a death as payment for my sins and that by putting my faith in you I will accept that promise that you give of eternal life. Lord, I just want to lift up those in their seats right now who just want to cross that line. I just pray, God, you'd help them to just just focus on you, Jesus, and what you've done. And I pray, God, you'd help them right now just to surrender their lives to you and just let everything else figure itself out later. But for right now, it's just about you and what you've done successfully predicting and pulling off your own death and resurrection to show us that you're God, that we can believe it. And so God, we just thank you for those who are taking that step right now. Just saying, Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. I confess my sins to you. I thank you for new life. I give you my life in exchange for yours. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.